Good morning. Everyone doing okay? Bump me down just a little bit. That's uh, it's kind of you know it's God's timing. I'll say ironic, but it's God's timing that two weeks ago I preached about hope for the weary, and then God provided the entire week for me to go to the beach and find some rest. And let me tell you, it was most enjoyable. It was wonderful to take some time, spend it on the beach with friends from work who are also believers. It's a great way to get away and just relax. I was sharing with the praise team earlier that I was watching live stream online last week from the comfort of the beach, and it was great. And then I started standing up, raising my hands and singing, and people thought, I wonder if he's drowning or if he needs help, what's going on? But it was good. We're going to continue on with our series entitled Hope is Here. And two weeks ago, we read about how Jesus invites us to find rest in him when we are weary, burdened, exhausted, or worn out. We also learn how we can share these burdens with each other so we do not have to walk alone. See, hope is found in Christ and in our relationships with each other. The truth is that we find ourselves in need of hope from time to time. Thank you. We'll use this for later. Now you're wondering, what's he going to do with the trash bag? Hold on. Perhaps our need for hope does not stem from us being weary or burdened or worn out. It could come from a sense of brokenness. Our lives are fragile. And we can do things that result in us feeling broken. We make bad decisions, bad choices, and these have consequences. And we feel broken just like that cup. We find ourselves in situations when we've made the wrong choices. Sometimes we like the word we like to use the word mistakes but we fall into sin. And when this happens, it feels just like this cup. It, it, it shatters. Our lives feel broken. It feels shattered. We find ourselves longing for hope. There is no worse feeling in the world than when our sin finds us out. Being exposed causes us to feel shame and guilt. But hear me and hear me well. That does not have to be the end of the story. Because when Jesus meets us exactly where we're at, broken, when he meets us there, there is hope. And there is a study, or excuse me, a story of a woman of a woman in Scripture who knew exactly what it felt like to be broken and in need of restoration. It is found in John chapter 8. And as Jesus sits down with the crowd, his teaching is interrupted. In lieu of honor of reading God's Word, would you stand with me, please, if you're able? John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple. And 
all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now on the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us through your written word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. You look in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, what it said, they brought a woman caught in adultery and set her in the center of the court. This woman was brought before everyone with accusations of adultery. In fact, we read in the text that they claimed to have caught her in the very act of it. She was cheating on her husband with someone else, and these men apprehended her in the middle of the scandal. Put yourself in that situation. How embarrassing, how humiliating. And she would have been aware of the consequences. According to the Mosaic law, she was, be, she was to be stoned to death. And in verse 5, it says, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And of course, they asked the phrase, Then what do you say? This is what brokenness looks like. A broken marriage a broken woman, a broken reputation. This is rock bottom. We all have experienced brokenness at one point or another. In fact, you may be experiencing brokenness in your life this morning. And the first part of verse 6, we are told they were saying this, testing him, so they may have grounds for accusing him. What is shocking in this story, most of all, is that this woman is being used as a pawn in the religious leader's plan. Think about this. To rid themselves of Jesus, her sin was being exploited in front of everyone in order to harm Jesus. This woman was caught in the middle and her sin had been exposed. Can you Picture that in your mind for a minute. Broken before everyone and set in the middle between Jesus and the religious leaders who sought to do harm to him. Have you heard the story about Texas weather? Give it 24 hours, it may change. Being outside, Around this time of year, 
78, 80 degrees, have your shorts and your short sleeves serve out, do yard work or gardening, whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden, the wind ships out of the north about 25 miles an hour, and a cold wind starts to blow. Now, during this time of year, as close as we get to winter, it will be really cold. It can drop up to 35 degrees. I'm not kidding, am I? It happens. And when you're working out in that weather, you may grab some gloves, and if it gets really, really cold, depending on what time of year it is, you may put on a coat. And as you're out there working in that cold, bitter wind, your fingers will start to grow a little numb and a little cold. So what do you do? You go into your house, and you put your, take your gloves off, and maybe put your hands and fingers over a source of heat. Maybe if it's that time of year, you may have a fire going. What happens when your fingers are really cold and you put them close to a heat source, what begins to happen? They begin to tingle and begin to burn. It hurts at first, but as that continues on in the process, eventually your fingers will get warm and the pain will go away. Why did I mention that right in the middle of the story? It's because our sin, being laid bare, is one of the worst and best feelings possible. On the one hand, it is horrible because everyone knows the truth. On the other hand, it's wonderful because everyone does finally know the truth. It's like warming your cold hand and fingers. As the pain aside, there is a warmth of a fresh new start. There is that woman caught in adultery laying before Jesus. She had lost hope that her fate would avoid a death by stoning. But then Jesus intervenes. Look at his response in verse 6, the last part of verse 6. They ask, what do you say? What does it say? Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Rather than to agree with the woman's death on account of the law, he does something totally different that he stoops down and writes something on the ground. Now, we're not told what he wrote. Perhaps he wrote down all the names of the men who brought this woman before everybody and a list of their sins or maybe it was the woman's list of her sins but regardless look at what happens next in verse 7 I want to read the whole verse for you verse 7 look when they persisted in asking him they didn't give up they were pressing him for an answer he straightened up and said to them he who is without sin among you let him be the first to throw the stone at her Jesus says, go right ahead, proceed, if you will, but let the person who has no sin whatsoever throw the first stone. Hmm. Wow. I can imagine a hush going over that crowd. You see, a church is a place of hope because sin does not happen in a vacuum. It often causes collateral damage. It touches other people. Hear me and hear me well. As important as it is for the sinner to repent and rightly respond in the way that honors God with sin to confess it and repent it, it's equally important that the church responds rightly as well. What I mean by that is this. We receive hope in the midst of our brokenness when we acknowledge that all of us, all of us have fallen short. And all of us have sinned before a holy 
God. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Are we better than they? Not at all. For we are already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And as is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. And he is quoting Psalm 14 and 53 in that passage. Look what it says. There is none righteous. There is none who seeks after God. Not one. Not even just one. And of course, you may be familiar with this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we remind ourselves where we have come from and how each of us are in desperate need of the grace, forgiveness, and mercy of God, it is much easier to extend that mercy and grace and forgiveness to one of our fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. The beauty of this fellowship, of this body, this church, is that we're able to extend forgiveness and grace to one another because we're all broken people learning each day how to live under the grace of God, each of us on this journey together. Some of us in different areas, but all of us walking the same road. And Jesus is making a point here to the religious group. He's teaching them a lesson about grace. If you cannot throw a stone at this woman, it's because you are guilty of breaking the law yourself. A lot of times we like to do that because we're trying to justify ourselves. I'm not as bad as old so-and-so over here. Well, sin is sin in the eyes of God. There's different consequences of sin, but it's still sin. If you come to me and you're broken... And you ask for forgiveness, you repent. Who am I to hold it back from you when I look at the cross of Christ? Look what it says in verse 9. When they heard that, they began to go out one by one. Notice it says in the text that the older men leave first. Perhaps because of their age, they were more wise, and they heard it, they understood it. And then later on, the younger men, probably more arrogant and stubborn, began to leave as well. And as the dust settles... Two people are left in that scene. That's Jesus and the woman herself. Ooh. What a question to ask ourselves. You want to bash somebody for sin they have committed? If you have no sin, pick up the stone and throw it first. That doesn't mean we sweeps in under the table or under the rug, but we all remember our place. And the best way I can illustrate this, I'm sorry for this, Jerry, because you're going to have a hard time following me. The best way to illustrate this, this is a platform, it's not a stage, but in reality, to see this, I'm right down here with you. I need his grace and forgiveness just as much as you do, if not more. Why? Because I'm in a leadership position, and the enemy knows he can get me to fall, I'll take 10 or 12 with me, or not even more. Because we always compare ourselves to each other. Don't we? We should only compare ourselves to one person. Our goal in all this is to become more and more like Christ himself. That is the plumb line we must measure ourselves by. Verse 10, he 
straightens up and says, he says to her, woman, where are they? I can imagine Jesus looking at this woman with such compassion and love. And for the first time in her brokenness, she must have felt hope. Jesus is the only one in this story who does not condemn her. He's the only one who does not want to punish her. Rather, he offers grace. The first word over you and I. The truest thing that we can tell about ourselves is that we are loved by God. Now listen to this very carefully. God does not determine your value based on how well you perform. God does not decide your worth based on your reputation. He calls you valuable because he created you. He made you. His son died for you. Has nothing to do with performance or your reputation. Your hope is found in a God that loves you just the way you are. But, listen to me carefully, he loves you way too much to leave you there. Clearly, Jesus cannot condone the woman's sin. Look at his last words in verse 11. Go from now on, sin no more. Jesus cares about your life. He cares about the decisions you make that leaves you broken. He wants to expose that sin, but not for the same reasons as the religious leaders. Pastor Stephen Pertrick of Elevation Church, Charlotte, North Carolina, said that this way, God exposes sin not to shame us, but to change us. God exposes sin not to shame you, but to change you. What is his goal? What is this all about? To conform you to the image of his son. He wants to expose us. You can repent, confess and say, yes, God, I've sinned against you and become more like his son. See, the religious leaders didn't care about her sin so much and her situation. They exposed her for one reason, and they shamed her for one reason, to get rid of Jesus. That is explicitly in the text. They didn't care about her situation. They didn't care what cause or pain she was going through. In fact, they can't remember the grace that God had extended to them. They were so quick to condemn her and try to trap Jesus in the process. They were too blind, may I say, by their pride. See, he, he exposes sins for a different reason. He wants to put us... Take these broken pieces here, picks you up, and with gentle hands, puts you back together again. Brand spanking new. That's what God does. He puts broken pieces back together again. If you find yourself feeling broken today, then I have good news for you. If you feel like you're surrounded by people who only want to throw stones at you, Jesus is here in this place, and where he is, there is always hope. You have a choice to make, and it will determine what your future will be like. 
You can choose to make no changes in your life and continue on your present trajectory. Or you can confess your sin to God, repent from it, and experience His grace and His forgiveness right here and right now. When we confess our sin, when we put our faith and we believe Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be, then we are found in Christ. And Paul writes about this in a letter to the church in Corinth. Perhaps one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone, notice it says anyone, doesn't say just limited people, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. We are made new. The old way of living become things of the past. Have you considered this, that the church is nothing more than a gathering point for a whole bunch of sinners who are learning every day how to live in this new life? Wow. We're all a bunch of sinners. Just get over yourself. <laughs> and we're learning each day how to live this new life in Christ Jesus. And we help each other. And we pray with each other. And we weep with each other. And we laugh with each other. And we eat with each other as we experience life together. This is a place where grace is found more readily than any other place on earth. The grace of God and the grace found from those with whom we have fellowship, that is the key to our hope. That is the key. There is hope for the broken this morning, and it is found in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you've done. He can and will forgive you. It's hard to walk in front of a bunch of people and admit that you're a sinner. But you'll not find a more compassionate group of people than you here right now in this building. Who am I to throw stones at you when you come forward? I am a sinner myself. I would say let us boldly, let us confidently go to the throne of grace, both of us, to find mercy in the time of need. I found a quote from the evangelist and preacher Juan Carlos Ortiz that expresses what living in this reality of this hope of grace is like. He, he said, quote, watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. You know the flying trapeze in the circus? So we wonder at the dexterity and timing. In most cases, there is a net underneath. When the trapeze artist falls, they jump and bounce back into the trapeze. In Christ, we live on the trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, look how they live, how they love one another. Look how their husbands treat their wives. Aren't they the best workers in the factories and the offices and the best neighbors and the best students? Look how this church loves its community. Of course, this is living out our faith for the world to see. And what happens when we slip? We have a net that's there. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ who covers all our sins and trespasses. Of course, we can't be continually dropping down there. We have to work because if, 
as he says, if, if a trapeze artist is constantly falling, he's no longer a trapeze artist. He needs to practice more. But we have that safety net. I thought, what a great analogy to look at. The being that high on the trapeze and living out our faith. And you can tell people the reason I can do this is not based on how well I perform or any of my gifts or abilities. It's all because of the grace and the love and the mercy of God to begin with. So this morning, I want to invite you with all your broken pieces, all the broken pieces of your life, and to believe that God can make something beautiful out of your life once again. I want you to invite you to trust this community, this, this church, this local body of believers, Forestburg Baptist Church. I want you to trust it because he's placed you here this morning for a reason, for a purpose, to know about this hope. Are you a Christian? Have you called out to him and confessed your sins? If you have, what's holding you back? If you're looking for a place to serve, I invite you to come and Let's walk this life, this wonderful, grace-filled life together. And pick each other up when we fall. The whole time pointing to Christ. That tension that you're feeling right now, in your heart and in your mind, that is God saying, let me Fix that. Take it. Let me have it. I've said this so many times, but it's so true. I have a hard time learning it myself. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, that's insanity. When are you going to learn? When am I going to? I can't do it by myself. I need God. Some of you are filled with shame and guilt this morning because you're thinking if everybody knew what I did, they wouldn't love me anymore. They wouldn't care about me. Let me tell you something. Somebody far greater than me still loves you in spite of that sin and waiting very patiently for you to come back home and that's your heavenly father. And he's here with wide open arms asking you, please come. Now, this is not just for individuals. This is also true of the church collectively. Dare I say, at one point, this church was broken. Somewhat shattered. And you guys were looking for something to put you back together again. God never left you. And he is slowly restoring this body. And as he does, things will be revealed that we need to deal with. It's not to shame us, but it's to change us into the everything he wants us to be. As it was said this morning in Bible school, God has already poured out his blessings upon you. Everything you're going to need is just us to get out of the way and trust it. What's holding you back? 
what's keeping you back? We're living in some weird times. May I say that? We're going to need each other. It's going to get worse. I'm going to close with this. Every time I've studied Christian history, when persecution got really severe, it didn't draw people away. It pushed them closer to God and closer to each other. I still think that God is about having this great big altar call for the world to come to saving knowledge of Christ. It, we, we call this, you may hear people say this is the altar. Now, we're not up here sacrificing animals this morning. We don't need to. Jesus made the sacrifice once and for all. The reason we call that that is that's where we lay everything down. Everything down. Even my very life. God, it is yours. If you will simply obey, come and lay it down. I tell you from my own experience, there's freedom in letting go. God can handle it. God will take care of it. The more I mess with it, the more I mess it up. Will it be easy? No. Will it be hard at times? Yes. But God will take care of you. Remember, we're all headed for heaven. That's where we want to be. We're on our journey now. Don't get distracted. Keep focused. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. Father, I pray for everyone who's in the sound of my voice who feel broken, who feel like there is no hope for them, that there's nothing they can do to change. And Father, for that, they are right. They desperately need to turn their lives over to you. Father, we thank you for your long-suffering, your mercy, and your forgiveness and grace. Father, I pray that this morning we'll all experience your grace and forgiveness in a new way that we never have before to remind us who we are and who we belong to. All of us have circumstances and situations in our lives that are difficult for us to bear. And once again, I hear your voice. Come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. There is indeed hope for those who are broken, and it begins with you. Continue to move your spirit around this place. Continue to speak to our hearts and our minds. Change us, O oh God, into the image of your Son. This is our cry today. In his name that we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please?